everybody. How you guys doing? <laughs> My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. It is great to be with you guys this, this morning. Um, we've been in this series on the Apostles' Creed, so this like really pretty brief statement about the core beliefs of, of the Christian faith and what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so uh, as we continue to do that, I actually want to start today with these words. So if they're unfamiliar words with you, I'm going to go ahead and invite you to actually stand up anyway. And if you want to share, the, the words will be on the screen for you to, uh, to, to say with me. And if you're worshiping with us online as well, um, hey, maybe if you can, just like hop up off the couch and stand with us as we, as we uh, uh, state our faith together. So this is, this is how we state our faith, church. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I, a couple weeks ago, I shared with you about this uh, community of believers that uh, raised me, uh, the, the church that I, that I grew up in, and how they actually gave me these words to the Apostles' Creed, and so they, they handed them to me, and they, they taught them to me, and they also taught me how, how to live them out by, um, by stating them together every week, but also how they, how they live their lives. They, were, they kind of modeled all of that for me. So from them, I learned a lot of things. I learned about uh, peace and justice and righteousness and how the kingdom of God is going to come to earth one day and how it's like actually happening. It's kind of seeping through even in moments right now. I could right now in this moment, I could state easily over 50 people from my home church who were just formative in my faith, like in, in my story and in, in my um, uh, movement life of following after Jesus. They loved me actually uh, there was this one year, I think this is not totally uncommon, like one year in college where I kind of drifted. Um, they loved me during that time. They prayed for me and they were there for me. Like they kept, like held on to me, right? And they loved me and believed in me when I said I felt like God was calling me into a short-term mission experience. And so they got, like, got me ready for that. And then they, they, they affirmed my call to ministry and they sent me off to, to seminary and supported me over the years. And still today, a lot of years later, I still feel their prayers. I was thinking about it this morning. Like I know that people people be praying for for the pastor when they're when they're preaching on a Sunday morning. I just like I feel like there's a connection that people are still lifting me up uh, to God. So in my experience, because of this, this is one of the reasons that I can say without a doubt, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. It's a core belief of like how, so it's one thing to be able to say you follow, you follow Jesus, right? Which is amazing. It's, it's, it's a miracle that any of us can, can choose to follow something that's, that's bigger than, than ourselves. But how we do it, like in what context do we live that out in? And that is what the church is for. That's why the, the, the church was given birth 
It's, why we're meant, it's how we're meant to live out our faith. It's within the community of, of believers, the church. So today I want to share with you two pictures that uh, the, the Bible kind of shares with us, images of what the, the church looks like to commit, maybe kind of get an understanding of, of what it means to believe in the church. So first, the first one's from Acts chapter 2. Pastor Angela, if you are with us last week, Pastor Angela brought us kind of to, to this, this story. It's the introduction of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost where Jesus' disciples were gathered around. He had ascended into heaven. His disciples were gathered around waiting and anticipating that the Holy Spirit would come. And here again is from Acts chapter 2, verse 2. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So this was new for them. Just like in case you're thinking this is just like an ordinary experience back then that we don't have as much anymore, it was a new thing for them. So it would have been um, shocking to everyone, including, I think, the disciples who were there actually waiting for the Holy Spirit that Jesus had told them would come. When it came in that way, it was surely surprising. Then one of the disciples, his name was Peter, he stood up and he gave the very first sermon ever. And he he preached about Jesus, the Son of God. He said, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Like this was a preacher who had some real credibility because he had actually just been walking around with a guy, right? Like he had had seen the teachings. He was with them. He He had seen all of the miracles. He had heard Jesus describe who it was that he was, that he was sent from God. So he's telling this audience that that Jesus was Lord and Messiah. And so the Messiah was somebody that, that like a rescuer that everybody had been waiting for. They had been longing for. They had their hearts like fixed on, on like, when is God going to come through and rescue us? And they're, they're, he's saying to them, this is that time. So then it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we Say that last part with me. What shall we do? You might even write that down in in your Bible. I think it's in a really important phrase. We'll we'll stick on it for just a second here. That that phrase is the sign of a really good sermon. (laughs) Like, Notice how nobody walked away from this sermon like arguing theological points that the, the, the preacher had made or upset because of some cultural issue that the preacher brought up, right? Instead, they're walking away saying, what should we do? <laughs> this seems to be true. What should we do? Even if you get distracted by how the preacher gives the message or whatever it is, ask the question, what should we do? So remember that this is the story of the start of the church. It starts with individuals responding to a message by saying, what do we do? The whole church is not yet saying this like collectively, well, what, what should we do, God? God? No, because the church didn't exist yet. Like this is the moment when it was first being introduced. It didn't start with bricks and mortar or a headquarters that was built. It started in their hearts. It started in the hearts of individual people like you and me. So Peter heard their question, what should we do? And he answered it directly. He said, repent and be baptized every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift 
of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, like, had just shown up. So this was like familiar language to them, right? How did they, how did they experience the Holy Spirit to this point? Fire and wind, <laughs> and it, it was fierce. They would remember it. It was my, maybe even a little bit scary. You're going to receive this Holy Spirit. And while it happened on that day, it was a particular day, it was a day of Pentecost in a particular place, it was immediately clear, though, that it was bigger than the thousands who had just responded on that day. You know, we've kind of like fallen into a, a pattern of survival. I think the, I think the ch- church in general kind of has done that, maybe even in society. We, we kind of th- say to ourselves, well, if I can just get through this day, what happens in this day will not impact tomorrow. So I'll just get through it, and then I'll do the same thing tomorrow. I'll just get through that day. I'm just going to survive. But the power of the Holy Spirit changing lives on that day 2,000 years ago has had ripple effects that will not and have not stopped. Peter added, so this promise, this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. So here's what it looked like in the first local church. They heard the good news, and then they didn't treat it like it was some kind of like a self-help book that they would go and kind of work out on their own, like implement it as individuals. They, they didn't try to follow Jesus all on their own. Instead, what did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So they shared meals together. They shared their possessions, it says, They looked out for the poor. They looked out for the widows. Like, this is how they did life after they experienced the the Holy Spirit. And it says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Every day, somebody was added to the number of people who were being saved. And what, what, what was it that, like, brought them into the community? The community itself. Like, they saw that these people were living in a particular way that was surprising and strange and and unique And it was demonstrating that they believed that God was doing something, so others wanted to be a part of it. Sometimes I read these words from from Acts chapter 2. It's just such a great, rich passage and great image of what what the church can be and what what the church looks like. Sometimes I hear them, and, and I just marvel. I marvel at the power of the Holy Spirit. Like that same Spirit is actually doing its same work in us right here in Providence Church. Like every, every day we hear your stories about how God is moving and there's, there's still fire and wind that's blowing through this place. And people are having visions about where God is calling them to as, as they follow Jesus, like um, how they might be a part of the movement of God in this church. Even though sometimes those visions that God gives us are kind of scary, they kind of push us beyond our comfort zone, God is still moving in this place. Sometimes I just marvel that the story is still true today. Other times, though, I hear this, and I'm like, what happened to that? <laughs> you know, like that church that was, like, on fire, and, and it was being added to every single day, and they were sharing life together, and they were in, intensely following Jesus together. And I wonder, like, where did it go? Ha- has the church around the world been faithful to that vision? And if not, who's to blame? That's what we like to ask, right, like when something's wrong. Who's to blame? And I can settle on that because it's like easier, right? We don't have to think about um, any part that we might have in, in any of it. We're just like, well, whose fault is this? And we start looking around and pointing, pointing fingers. I do that anyway. Maybe it's just me. But I, I'm like, who's to blame for the, the state of things right now? But who's to blame is garbage thinking. That's just not even the right place to start because it allows us to, to be distracted. 
And so every once in a while I notice that I'm doing it and God, I repent and God, God forgives me. Because here's what I know to be true about the church. The church is holy. That means the church is set apart. The church is dedicated to something that's beyond itself. The church is bigger than us. The church is bigger than the people who have gathered in a room or gathered online. It's bigger than Providence Church. It's bigger than America. But locally, the church is bigger than our plans. I don't know if you guys remember uh, 2020. Back at, in early 2020, Providence Church was going and blowing. Like you couldn't buy a ticket to come and well, you didn't sell tickets, but you know, like it was really crowded. <laughs> there were a lot of people, like it was growing. We were like adding services and trying to figure out how, how can we reach more and more people? God's doing this, this amazing thing. And so we began to look at starting other churches, you know, other, other churches like in communities around us that would be connected to, to Providence, other campuses of, of Providence Church. We were exploring all that and praying about it and learning a lot of things and kind of setting some things up, even beginning to consider where those, those locations might be. And then, you know, a tornado and a pandemic and all of a sudden this room had plenty of room. Like we would come in here and Jacob and I would just kind of stand looking around going like, hmm. <laughs> Plenty of space, like problem solved, I guess, you know. <laughs> but it didn't really feel all that great, you know. It felt more like the Babylonian captivity, if you know that story, like when God's people were in a strange land and they still found a way to worship. But the church kept going. Not like we worked really hard and it kept going. The Spirit of God kept the church alive during that time. And if you were with us, you might remember, we, we worshiped out in the parking lot. Like we went out to the parking lot, sat in our cars, and worshiped. Like this sounds even strange now to, to say that we did that. We began to worship online. We'd have times of prayer online. We'd have Bible. Jacob did a Bible study from his living room one time. I mean, like we, would, we did, found all these different ways to kind of stay connected and be the church, even though we were in a strange land. We moved two pastors over to be our online pastor. Pastor Angela um, is leading us in that today. And now, in all likelihood, our online presence is reaching more people and has a much larger geographical reach than a campus would have if we had put one down the street, right? And God may still actually ask us to establish other physical locations, but for this season that we have been through, God took our plans and blew them through the roof. It's why you'll always hear us say things like, God did it around here. Because we've kind of got nothing else to say. We're like, you know, we don't actually necessarily know what we're doing. But God, here we go. The Apostles' Creed says that the church is holy. And it says that the church is Catholic. And that trips people up. I, under, I understand it. Um, when, I, when I was a kid, it definitely, definitely tripped me up. Because, um, you know, like you, you came in the building today and you're like, the sign didn't say Catholic. I didn't know that I was in the Catholic Church. And when you come for communion, you're like, that was definitely grape juice and not wine. So I understand, like, we're, it's not that kind of Catholic, okay? <laughs> Here, it mean, the word Catholic means universal. The whole church and all of its places and in all of its manifestations. So if you think about it, the Catholic Church is bigger than the Catholic Church, or the Roman Catholic Church, right? It's bigger than any denomination. It's bigger than any non-denomination, for that matter. So this is really important to get. The church at the same time, is everywhere. And the church is right here in Mount Juliet on this hill. The church is local and the church is global, if you think about it. 
Like the church lives for its context. Why, it's why most of our ministries, a majority of the things that we do on a regular basis are to reach hungry people in our community and to reach out to, to our schools. But at the same time, the church lives in the context of the kingdom of God, which is much bigger than what's going on in Mount Juliet or Wilson County or Tennessee or the United States. So we send teams and prayers and support to places all, all over the globe. You know, the founder of the Methodist movement, his name was John Wesley. He was a man who was used by God in one of the biggest spirit-led movements in history. And he would say this. He would say, the world is my parish. The world is my church. The, the church is holy in the local sense. The church lives into, we live into our holiness by, by kind of doing life together. We're set apart in a way. We sit around tables. We're, we're serving in the community. Our holiness is lived out in the particular places that we find ourselves, right? And that holiness, though, is connected to millions of other gatherings of believers all over the world. At the beginning of his sermon, Peter said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. So you might hear it here. He's talking to the local people, like those of you who live in Jerusalem who are right here, but also those of you who have come from all around the world, fellow believers. So you should know this. The church is the greatest unrealized force in the world. More and more, the church seems to be minimized by whatever. Like we can bemoan all the, the things that are coming against the, the, the church. You know, we'll say, well, culture is, is uh, minimizing the church and news outlets are minimizing the church and leaders and authors and all that is true. And, and we can kind of get fixated on that, right? We, get, we can get focused on that and it becomes for us a distraction. I even hesitate to, to bring it up because I don't want you to get, to get distracted this morning by, by thinking about it. And that's all we think about. Like we're fighting to preserve the life of the church on our own. That's how the enemy keeps us off course. <laughs> have, you, have you ever read the, the book, The Screwtape Letters, um, C.S. Lewis? It's a fantastic book if you haven't read it. It's like a fictional account of a, like a su superior devil and a, like a, a new devil. It's kind of training him how, how it is he can go into the world and trick people into not following God anymore. <laughs> I just bought a new copy for, for my kids recently. The, the church doesn't depend on those, those voices out there. So we, so we can't get distracted by those things, right? The church doesn't depend on those voices for her power. Therefore, those voices and influences are not the enemy of the church. Because the church is called to share Jesus to the culture, like all of it, the news organizations, even politicians and social media influencers, not necessarily with signs and protests, it can be that, but not necessarily, but always with the love of Christ that is transformational. And here is what the world doesn't yet know. The church is strong. Not because of organization, not because of institution building, although we're really, really, we can organize ourselves to death. <laughs> but because of God's spirit that moves and seeps through the cracks of man-made rules and structures, Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. What that means is the gates of hell can't keep the church out from the dark places, from the hurting places, from the broken places in, in the world. So why would we think that the culture around us would prevail against the church? The church is stronger than we think because the church has the spirit of God and the spirit weaves in and out of every place. The church is not limited, so don't give up on her, okay? 
I, I was uh, first able to visit the former Soviet Union back in 1994. I've been able to go a few times, and my first trip was just a couple years after Perestroika, and you know uh, there was like little signs of freedom kind of kind of bubbling up in the country. And um, sadly, we can be sad about the, the loss of that. But when I was there early on, they were you know still telling stories. They were like, here's what it was like under communism when you couldn't worship God, when you couldn't have a Bible. And they would tell stories about how people would, would take a page of the Bible and, and rip it out. In this instance, it's okay to rip the page out because what they did with it is they, they would go and they would slide it under their neighbor's door. And the family would, would pick up the, the word of God and devour it. And then they would pass it on to their neighbor. And they'd have this like system, like under darkness, they would share the, the, the word of God where it looked like there could be no church where everything was against the followers of Jesus, they found a way to have the word of God in their lives. Here's a picture of Ludmilla. Um, she's actually from the Czech Republic in Eastern Europe. And her country endured 40 years under communism and actually earned the title, the most atheist place in Europe. <laughs> so Ludmilla, she's a follower of Jesus. And in her 80s, she established what she calls the Embassy of the Kingdom of Heaven. She has this sign on her door. She made a plaque. <laughs> the Embassy of the Kingdom of Heaven. And she says, I'm an ambassador for Jesus. That's why she has an embassy. And so people come over to her house, her apartment, and she prays with them. She worships with them. She reads the scriptures with them. You can see that the Spirit is moving and bringing life to the church in the most atheist place in Europe. Like the church is alive. Over in China, it's actually kind of hard to, to measure the state of the church there. But you kind of keep hearing reports and stories of how the church is thriving in China. Because people are, it's illegal, but people are gathering together and they're in, a, in apartments and they're worshiping and they're, they're, they're doing it kind of under the cover of darkness. They could get in trouble for gathering together and being the church. And yet, people are estimating that in 10 years, China will have more Christians than any other nation on the planet. And you're not going to hear about these, these kind of movements all that often. You might have to dig them up and find some of these stories. And some of these stories we're never going to know because like, the church is just that big. The Spirit of God is that big. We will not know every single story. But the church thrives as an underground movement. China and Ethiopia, soon again in, in Russia, but also, I think, in our cities, you know, increasingly churches in our, our big cities are actually gathering in homes as small groups of followers who are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread, like right in the middle of New York City where it looks like the church is dying. It's not. Here in Mount Juliet, we don't have to be an underground church, you know. <laughs> like, thank God we're on a top of a hill <laughs> looking at like the whole city can see us the neighbors back here hear the bass from our music all the time we've got a big cross like out on the front yard you know like we don't have to hide we don't have to hide this we're not an underground movement where we are necessarily so therefore those those uh, voices um, that that are out there in the world don't seem to affect us as much but if you could picture it I think like if you've ever talked to me you know that that for me, following Jesus has to be done with other people, and it has to be done in small groups of other people where you've got people that know you, and you're doing life together, and they're praying for you, and you study the, the, word, the word of God together and lift each other up. Can you picture, like, uh, five guys over at, you know, a coffee shop in town 
with our hands on each other's arms, heads bowed down, praying for each other, like lifting up like real needs to help each other follow Jesus. All of a sudden, that kind of looks like an underground movement, right? Like it's still, it's still kind of pushing against the, the culture. It's submersive in a way. You know, what's happening at Providence Church, um, a lot of people say, well, it seems like an anomaly. Like what God is doing in this place seems like it's just not happening anywhere else, but it, but it is. Every, every week I find myself saying, what is God doing now? Like, uh, Jacob just texted me this last, last week after God showed up in a particularly powerful way and was like, what is God up to? <laughs> like on a regular basis, we have to just wonder, what is God doing? We can live in the Spirit and devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. So I still believe that the church is holy and Catholic and finally, the second image from, from the Bible I wanted to share with you, the image of the church, comes from Revelation. So towards the end, end of, your, of your Bible, Revelation 19, John saw this vision, and it was really like a vision of the church. Here's what he said. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride, the church, has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. So the church is also called the bride of Christ, the Lamb in this passage from Revelation. And, and notice who's shouting hallelujah in this passage. He said it was like a great multitude of voices. So like more than you can count just like this roar of voices that are worshiping. So it sounds a little bit like what we experience when we come together in here and sing hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. What he was hearing was a multitude, which was the voices of, of saints, like from, from all over the place, from, from history, on heaven, in heaven and on earth. This last week, Providence Church lost two of our members. We lost a, um, a man named Paul, who's a retired pastor, who's in his 70s. And we lost a one-year-old last Sunday. Her name was Zadie. Some of you might have been here when, when, when Zadie was, was baptized. Uh, she had, in her one year of life, she, she had had seven surgeries. She was about to go into another one um, on Holy Week. And so on Palm Sunday, she was baptized. And she just had this peace about her that just like captivated this church. And when she passed away on, on Sunday, I was thinking about like, the, the hope that we have. And it's not just like a platitude to say there is a, such a thing as a communion of saints. And so when we come together and we worship, when we come for Holy Communion, we're experiencing the communion of the saints. And we cling to this belief. As followers of Jesus, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. When we worship, we worship with the 3,000 people who came to believe in Jesus on Pentecost. We worship with the underground churches in, in China and Ethiopia and Southeast Asia, all over the world. We, we worship with all the saints who have gone before us, like Paul and Zadie, because the church is holy and universal. The church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. The church is bigger than our plans for her. The church is dynamic and alive. The church of Jesus Christ is how God is continuing to change the world to announce the kingdom of God. Stick around. You will see God moving in this place.
So if you believe like me, just simply say with me, I believe in the church. I believe in the church. As we approach this table of communion this morning, remember that we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. So I wanted to use these old, these old words that we, that we sometimes use in preparing our hearts for, for communion uh, to know that we're connected with people for hundreds and hundreds of years who have shared in these same, same words. The church is bigger than this room. The church is bigger than we know. Would you pray this with me? The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, Jesus took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Say with me, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. God, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on this gift of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we might be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite our communion servers to come forward to cleanse your hands and prepare to serve communion. In just a moment, you'll have an usher that will come down the aisle and invite you to, to come and receive a piece of bread in your hand. You can just come with your hands extended out like this. You'll receive a piece of bread and a cup of juice that you can take back to, to your seat. This is an open table. If you're seeking after Jesus Christ, come and receive this gift as the ushers guide you forward.